Welcome to Girlish Gurus. I'm Joy. And I'm Susan. And we're here to have discussions about topics on many subjects that we hope are informative, uplifting, and fun. So let's get started. Let's. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Girlish Gurus. Hello. 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 Today, we have a very, very special guest, our friend, Katie Waite. Joy and I met Katie in our memoir writing class, and since then, we've had the privilege of getting to know her better, and because we spend time together in a small writing group with one of our other uh, writing friends. Who we'll have to get on here at some point. Who we will have on here, Ronnie. (laughs) She's had a lot going on, but hopefully we'll have her on shortly. we'll have her on as well. But Katie was in memoir class because she has a very interesting story to tell. And we thought it would be really great for her to share that with you, our listeners. And so we're going to talk to her a little bit about her background and her history and then what happened that really threw a wrench in things for her life, but also caused her to realize that she wanted to do certain things, and she is now fulfilling those dreams and and living that out. So we're really excited to have her here today. Yes, welcome, welcome. So excited to have you on the show. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so Katie. Yes. Before we met you, many, many moons ago in a mm-hmm. galaxy far, far away, <laughs> you had a life of creativity. You yes. did creative things. What were you doing back in the day? Yeah. So, I mean, how far back are we going? <laughs> I think it's important to go pretty far back to explain part of the reason why this episode is important is because we as women give up our creative endeavors to pursue things that are more practical mm-hmm. and we begin taking care of other people pretty quickly. And so I think it's pretty interesting to me anyway that you had a whole career as a creative individual and then became a mother and et cetera. So as far back as you want to go, <laughs> explain kind of what you were doing when you graduated and embarked yeah. on your professional career. Yeah. So I was always drawn to the arts, whether that was drawing, fine arts, music. I started doing music at a very young young age. I was, my parents are not musicians at all. (laughs) So it's interesting that my brother and I were drawn to art and music. I was picking out songs on the piano as far back as probably seven, just by ear. So my mom quickly got me in piano lessons. So yeah, I was playing piano. I was started playing the flute, started playing guitar throughout middle school, high school. My brother is a really good guitar player. And so I was like asking him to teach me how to play guitar. But yeah, I was composing um, pieces on the piano probably around middle school, wow, high school. And it's very sad. I like have forgotten most of those things. I didn't write them down. So now I don't know where they are trapped in my brain somewhere. But yeah, and especially in high school, I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew that I loved art. I was in AP art classes. I was like, I just would love to go to art school or do something with art. But I also was so pulled to music too. But practically speaking, I was not great with the technical side of music. So I just, I I got very intimidated about what I could do with music. And that's that's kind of a shame because I think back, if I could have pursued music i think i probably could have and should have maybe but it's one of those things where i felt like fear kind of held me back and just i don't know the theater theory i don't i'm not good at that kind of thing but anyway and your parents probably didn't really know how to guide you in that given yeah Yeah. that's hard i mean and it's also you definitely have voices telling you to do something more practical Mm -hmm. always um (laughs) i was kind of between the two things neither of them were necessarily practical but I ended up going with art going to a liberal arts college in Virginia and then I was like well maybe I should get a degree in teaching so that I have I have art like fine arts but then also you know teaching in my back pocket so I have something practical and to then, back um, on right <laughs> which I didn't do <laughs> you know what I think I'll just stick with art 
that's my major and I just kind of dropped the educational <laughs> part. So I did spend my four years in college really digging in into fine arts and loved it. And I also joined a band and guitar was kind of on the side, but I was a the keyboardist of my band, started singing in my band. I never ever sung before i was it's one of those things where i just had told myself at a young age that i was a a terrible singer singer but also growing up in the 80s it was like whitney houston and like (laughs) those were the great madonna (laughs) yes and i was like i don't sound like them so those are i must be a terrible singer but i started doing harmony in my band and then that became a really important part of my life and I was writing music with these other musicians and doing I mean it was kind of a dream yeah (laughs) doing art as my everyday my job was as a a student was to be an art student and do the best I could and learning all these different types of art and then practicing in my band at night and we did a lot of gigs and we did conferences and we would go to churches and do the music there so yeah it was a kind of a cool time yeah Yeah. and then fast forward as i graduated and started doing other things like i had people in my life saying you know you have a nice voice you should you could sing you should sing it took me a long time i definitely think there's some confident issues there well that's true for everybody yeah 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 Yeah. it's vulnerable you know absolutely singing in front of all these people so doing any art and letting anyone see you do art is vulnerability oh yes Yes. and that's why it's so good for us (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so i think slowly i started doing some stuff on my own again just a lot of people encouraging me but I definitely went through that season after graduating from college like what am I going to do now that was fun I have a degree in art and I have a lot of experience with music but it was definitely a wake-up call and then you start thinking everyone was right you should definitely have a backup thing (laughs) after college I did all kinds of interesting things I moved around a lot I joined a missions organization because I want to help people. I looked into the Peace Corps. There's all these things that I wanted to do. I also was trying to just, I think, put off the real world for a while. (laughs) But I did join a missions organization. That was amazing. Uh, It was right after 9-11. And I ended up moving to New York City for a short amount of time just with this organization and kind of helping at Ground Zero. And Wow you know supporting the firefighters and the police officers and we were actually at ground zero working at the salvation army tent doing night shifts trying to help people that was really intense but really amazing i think that's what started my love of new york city which Mm. later in my story i end up there during that time too i think it was one of those things where i could use my musical experience and background because we did Again, we're just 22-year-old kids just trying to help and save the world. But within this missions group, there was a lot of us who were musicians and singers. So even our downtime, we were in Central Park or in the subway subway station trying to sing and perform uplifting music. It was a really interesting time in New York City. People were very open. I'm sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very open, very vulnerable to receive that kind of thing. But yeah, looking back, I'm like, wow, that was an interesting time in my life didn't know what to do and okay I'm just gonna sign up with this this group and put myself out there but it was very life-changing I continued with them for a year and then from there I moved back to Virginia and then I moved to Michigan was there for a while my brother was living there at the time he was a pastor of a church for the college age students and he's like why don't you come and Again, I didn't know what to do. So he's like, why don't you come and you can do music with my college kids? And I was like, okay, sure. (laughs) So I led worship for college students for a while. And that's really when I started seeing that I did have some, some friends who were musicians that I played with. But I think that I started being more comfortable, getting more comfortable with doing my own thing. And I was writing a lot. And I start, I kind of switched to guitar at that point. So doing a lot of um, acoustic guitar and writing on guitar, writing my own stuff, very indie acoustic kind of stuff, jewel-like stuff, I guess you could say. 
And that was kind of my launch pad to moving to New York City because that was a hard season. I went through a terrible breakup. There's a little bit of strain with my brother, which was but was hard, but you know, kind of again like growing pains. You're sure going through your twenties and mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out your relationships with your family and all that. Nothing too crazy, but just like, you know, I never lived in the same state with them before. And so I was trying to find out who I was. Right. And again, I was in my twenties. I wasn't working in any kind of again, I I was an art student in college. I didn't necessarily know what to do i ended up working at starbucks when i was Mm -hmm. like i think i was probably about 25 at this point which is actually was a really fun job (laughs) so i felt like but then you're also shout out to starbucks (laughs) we need some sponsors (laughs) it was a good job because i could do my music and stuff too on the side but i definitely went through that whole identity crisis i was proud to be an artist i was happy to be working as a musician, because I did have some gigs here and there, but it's hard. It doesn't pay the bills, and so you do need to find a job, but I didn't have a practical degree, and so there's a lot of self-doubt, I think, that goes into that, and you see, you know, I grew up in the D.C. area. A lot of my friends were back in D.C. were Mm -hmm. like, we're lawyers, government contractors, doing things that are kind of impressive, and I felt like not shame but like maybe that i was the one that was not growing up Mm -hmm. like not as important as some of the my friends who are doing real big girl jobs Mm -hmm. so i think it's hard when you're out of college and you have all this experience to not doubt yourself maybe it's time to put these things to the side and get a real job well we've talked a lot about that and measuring ourselves by society standards Mm. so i think that's again why this conversation is important right i agree i feel like there is something to be said for people who are willing to put themselves out there and do something creative because Mm -hmm. that is impressive to me (laughs) i agree 100 percent because that's what i would have liked to have done and i instead did the practical Mm -hmm. root Mm -hmm. and what everyone expected of me right Mm -hmm. that's just yeah susan can dance i cannot dance (laughs) but susan is a dancer and you sing too yeah i sing i sang all through up through college but yeah so i wanted to pursue that but of course you got those voices in your ears saying yes how are you gonna pay the bills right how are you gonna you'll never survive doing that so Mm -hmm. i have so much admiration and respect for someone who chooses to follow their dreams and that path of creativity because it isn't something that we as a culture promote but we for we, people but we celebrate it we celebrate people who are in bands and making music and making art who are making movies and who oh yeah we celebrate it we really do but to get there to get to that point we're told that is a rarity that's a unicorn that's something that's outside of the norm Mm -hmm. and i don't necessarily believe that now so yeah yeah important conversation especially for women who are in this age of life and who are looking for fulfillment Mm -hmm. yeah it's very important to have this conversation so we can give ourselves permission to to look for that Mm-hmm. Right, and it's never too late. No, you know, even it if isn't. you didn't have the chance to do that at that age, yeah, there's always time. Right. I know it's never too late to, and I think that I've kind of moved in and out of different seasons, and now I'm kind of back in in a, a new creative space. But I think it was hard back then because you do need money to live, right? <laughs> you and I did have a lot of office experience even every summer every winter break coming home from college i was always working in like temp work so i moved to michigan and except expected to find like a nice office job like nine to five and then i could do music at night it was just a terrible market at the time that i moved this is from 2000 i don't remember 2004 i think and so yeah i ended up at, at starbucks which again actually it was probably even a better fit for me because <laughs> mm-hmm. I met a lot of interesting people but then you know, that was a really hard time living there as a, I think a year and a half I was there 
really challenging. Oh, it's such a dark, cold place. <laughs> so that was oh, not now the when best you say place to be. Dark, cold place. You mean Michigan, not Starbucks? <laughs> yes, Michigan. Shout out to Starbucks. I'm saying. <laughs> definitely i'm speaking of michigan um i think if you're not from there you don't have the love of the place and so if you're just moving in as an outsider it's very hard to get used to that kind of climate and it's very dark okay well now let me just say being from ohio Mm. yeah so long damp kind of i think it's that whole area in the midwest there because pittsburgh was kind of the same Mm -hmm. yeah so go buckeyes we love ohio (laughs) and michigan and pittsburgh and pennsylvania right but But when you're going through like a life when you're from the south and you're going through a life challenge yeah (laughs) in the middle middle of michigan winter is not yeah dreary winter Mm -hmm. yes but i think that sort of the silver lining in that season of life was that i was like okay, I'm done. I I was so ready to find my own happiness. Again, I, I enjoyed my time doing music and I felt like it really solidified my belief in myself to maybe do this music thing on my own. And I kind of got mad enough to just be like, screw all of you. I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. <laughs> and so I like, packed up and I moved to New York City. There was a, there was a little in-between stuff. I had to go home and work and save more money but for i don't know three or four months but i moved to new york city by myself well just outside i couldn't afford to be in the city (laughs) i lived in harrison which is like east newark had a view from my tiny tiny little attic apartment of newark downtown newark but yeah i was there for I don't know, it was from uh, October to June. And then again, I was working at Starbucks because <laughs> why do I keep talking about Starbucks? <laughs> but when you're in that company, you can travel to different cities and just keep your job. Uh-huh. Um, so I was in New Jersey and then making my coffee money and then saved up and got a job. I got a my big girl job in the city. So again, everything just kind of fell into place. I ended up interviewing at a law firm and got the job working for two lawyers it was the best job ever they were the nicest people and was able to move into the city and so i had my nine to five job midtown manhattan had a amazing apartment with an amazing roommate that i found on craigslist wow (laughs) who's one of my best friends now to this day upper east side it was a a rent controlled fifth floor walk up so it was like my dream was happening and that's really when i i was definitely very scared to step out on my own as a musician because i had always had people around me but that's why i was saying michigan was probably an important step because i kind of started paring down the amount of people that i was playing with from a big band to like one or two people and now in new york i didn't know anyone so I was going to open mics by myself, standing on stages by myself with my guitar and my voice and singing these songs that I had written in the dead of winter in Michigan about how sad I was <laughs> uh, to like, you know, a crowd of people in a mid- Manhattan bar. So what that had to take a lot of courage. Oh, yeah. It's so funny to very me gutsy. Yep. that I ended up in that place because as a kid, I was very shy, not even remotely showy. I had the desire. I was like, oh, I wish I could sing. I want. I used to dance a little bit, not probably to the degree that you did, but I would, I would dream about being a ballet dancer. Like I, In my head, I wanted to be on the stage, but in reality, I was so shy. And so even to this day, my mom, my aunt were like, I cannot believe that Katie, out of all the the kids in the family, that she was the one that moved to New York City and was like on stages by herself. <laughs> it was just such a shock to all of us, including myself. <laughs> well, so yeah, that was an interesting, it was a, it was a great time in my life. I loved being in New York City. I loved it. It was like, I felt, especially coming from where, I was coming from in Michigan, which, you know, I thought was going to be a great time was New York just was a fit, fit like a glove. Mm. It's like, this is my place for now, you know? And then what happened? (laughs) 
And then <laughs> the question, the question that a, a lawyer never wants to ask unless they know the answer to <laughs> what happened next? Yeah. A lot of things happen. I mean, I guess also to segue a little bit into acting, I always was like, it'd be so fun to act, but again, like never had the experience was always too shy. Um, and I kind of in a random way ended up in a class, my audition. It, it's a long story, but I, uh, there was a competition that would get you money to, for voice lessons. It was like a scholarship. And I somehow found it on the internet. I don't even know how. Um, and I was like, I definitely could use some money. Maybe I should do this audition. And I ended up auditioning for someone who owned a, a music studio, um, did lessons. And I did not win. I didn't win the money. But through that opportunity, I ended up in a um, musical theater acting class wow. because they were handpicking people basically from this competition to put in this class that will turn into a cast for a original off-Broadway show. So that's kind of excuse, uh, confusing, but yeah, I ended up doing that class and then getting cast in an off-Broadway show, which was quite something when you don't have any experience in acting, but this class really helped me with that. So that was my first taste in the theater world and the acting world. And I was like, wow, this is really fun. It should like be able to sing with all these voices. And of course, it's New York City. So everyone is so freaking good. Yeah. Like the talent is just mm -hmm. unbelievable. So yeah, that was my first little taste in acting. So I was like, okay, now, now I want to do this too. Mm -hmm. um, in the midst of all that, I ended up meeting Dan, my husband, in 2007 and yeah i the the years just kind of roll by after you know we, got, we met in 2007 got engaged in 2008 he moved to manhattan he was living in the dc area when we met um we were doing the long distance thing for a long time he moved to manhattan 2009 the beginning of 2009 and we got married in the fall of 2009 so but yeah we okay you're cruising along you, you get married yep, get married are living life and enjoying yourself and then you have a baby yep 2011 we had miles mm -hmm. in in new york yep and you're still pursuing your creative career yeah i you know definitely had to take a little bit of a break um when I had Miles, that was a really challenging year, his first year of life. But I had, when he turned one, I had my first post-baby gig, um, like that September when he turned one. And I was kind of like thinking, okay, I'm ready to get back to myself, to my roots. I was going to take an acting class. I had all these plans. Mm -hmm. Then. <laughs> and then what happened? And then what? Yeah, so Miles was 13 months. Um, and I'll, out of the blue very out of the blue i um lost my speech one day i was taking care of miles my husband was out of, out of work at work out of the, the apartment um and i went to pick, pick him up and was trying to talk to him and um i could not speak my words just got all jumbled um and i kept trying and i was like wow i must be really tired right now um and then i realized something it was something beyond that um, I thought I thought I was having a stroke. I was like freaking out, and I had this baby in my hands, and I was afraid I was gonna I was gonna drop him. So put him down. Went to grab my phone. I was totally aware, conscious. I just couldn't talk. Um, I went to go text Dan. Well, to call him. I was like, wait, I can't tell him what's going on because I can't talk. Went to text him, and I couldn't te text either. My it's like the wires in my brain crossed. I couldn't like make sense of words. I knew what I wanted to write and text out, but I could not make it happen. And so I just stood there paralyzed, completely terrified. And then it passed. It was probably about three, four minutes. And then as soon as it passed, I called Dan. He said, you should call 911. I was like, for some reason felt very like, scared to call nine i'm like well it's it's gone now i knew that i had to go to see a doctor or something but he was like no call 911 yeah. right now he's like get miles go downstairs we had our apartment building had a doorman like there was someone downstairs in the lobby he's like go downstairs be with people 
So yeah, I got Miles. I, again, I was like, what if I drop him? I was just like very shaken up by this whole experience. Got downstairs, literally just handed my baby to the doorman who was like, you know, get to know your doorman man pretty well. So I'd really trusted him. I was like, here, take Miles. I feel sick right now. Couldn't even explain what was happening. And then called call 911. Which started you <sighs> on a pretty long journey. Yes. That was uh, mm-hmm. one of those life-changing days. It was October 3rd, 2012. It's like one of those days that's like burden your mind forever. So, and it was one of those things when they, the paramedics showed up, I felt silly. I was like, I'm fine. I don't know what it was. I told them what happened. But, you know, you kind of, I, I just felt silly. I'm like, this is fine. It's too much, like, attention. Everyone's gathering around. I was like, no, I'm fine. But got to the hospital everyone was like even in the in the ambulance they're like you know all your vitals are good you know you just start thinking like okay it was nothing Mm -hmm. um and then got to the hospital started doing some tests even the doctor was like i think it was just a migraine i think you're fine you're going to be back in my office tomorrow just you know making it seem like a very light situation but then i had to have my mri they did a scan and got our news that i had a a mass in my brain had a brain tumor right which is the last thing i expected Mm -hmm. it was like and i remember thinking like people won't get brain tumors like i just it was like something out of a movie or a tv show it did not i just i couldn't comprehend especially when you don't have any signs except for the one that like led me to the hospital right yeah that's a pretty big yeah and and i i can't i can't even imagine what that must have felt like to get that news and i know for you it probably seems like yesterday still in many ways Mm -hmm. um so i mean you had quite a journey from that point on um maybe we should do you want to take a break are you okay? I'm okay. Okay. I just wanted to make you sure. You and I are like, oh, oh and you're like, no, it's good. Let's keep going. It's fine. Well, why don't we maybe talk a little bit about then that journey because this is just the very beginning of a very long road yeah. that you were on. Um, so you find out you have a mass in your brain. You got it? There you mm-hmm. go. Okay, so you find out you've got a mass in your brain, and you are now at a point where it needs to be treated, okay? So, from sort of the beginning of that phase of your life, how long were you in active treatment? How long were you, what, what was sort of the timeline mm-hmm. of dealing with managing that situation? Well, um, because I know to a certain extent it's still going on today. Yeah, yeah. I have, I have the management of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with the type of tumor that it ended up being, and, you know, from that point, I had, you know, I I was in the hospital for 10 days, maybe 11 days, because I spent the night there and they were putting, you know, putting a surgical team together. So I had emergency brain surgery. Um, I guess it was a day and a half later. Um, and then they did the pathology of the tumor. Um, and it ended up being, so in the brain tumor world, it's not like other types of cancer. There's no stages, it's grades. So grade one, uh, uh, some people would say benign or the least amount of aggression. Four, of course, it's the most aggression um, more dangerous goes really fast so i was a two so that was actually good news um and i guess for anyone who's listening that knows anything about brain tumors it was an astrocytoma which is um a low-grade glioma um the glioma family has you know varying different types of like aggression so the glioblastoma is a four that goes those are the more dangerous tumors but as the doctor told me um, which was kind of good news and bad news that um, brain tumors def- they behave in unexpected ways. So a four could end up not doing much at all. A one could get more aggressive. Like it really is 
you know, unpredictable. So, but I, even from the beginning, I just had this like determination. I was like, okay, it's not going to grow back. I'm going to be fine. So it was just like, it could have been denial, denial. Uh, you know, I had a one-year-old little baby. I was like, this is not happening. This is not, you know, this is not going to shorten my life. This, that's not an option. So I just felt very like, I just really had like a positive, I guess, viewpoint from the beginning. I mean, of course I had some really dark days. Um, it was just shocking and horrible. And the recovery time was awful. Um, some people <laughs> recovery recover very quickly. Some people are out of the hospital in two days. That was not the case for me. Um, but I just was like, no, this is not going to seal any time, anything from me. So I was trying very hard to lean into the positive. So even when I found my oncologist, it was like, I wanted him to tell me what I wanted to hear. Like, do you have patients with diagnose, this diagnosis that live decades? And he was like, yes, I can't guarantee. I'm like, I know, I know. I know you can't, can't <laughs> no guarantee. No guarantees, right. But I just need to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the other good thing was I didn't have to go through your, your standard treatment at that time. So no chemo, no radiation. And that honestly was like such a relief because I was afraid of all that. I was like, I cannot, I cannot be, I don't know. I was 34 years old. I was like, I cannot be, you know, taking care of my one-year-old baby and going through chemo. I I just, that scared me more than anything. Mm -hmm. So um, just like that picture in your head of what cancer, cancer treatment would be like, I was like, I can't. So that was the good news is that really, with my type of tumor and my age, there's all these factors. There's always like a checklist. And so he went through the checklist. Like I also had this other thing that it was in my favor. It's a genetic mutation. That's a good thing to have. Um, IDH1 mutation for anyone that knows anything about brain tumors. Um, People know that's a good thing to have. Um, There's a lot of developments, especially now, 10 years later of, um, treatments that work for that mutation but all those things meant that I did not need treatment and that it was just a watch and wait protocol so I would go get my scans every two months and they would tell me if it was growing or doing nothing at all and all the you know all those visits uh, after my surgery it was everything was fine and stable and then you moved to Florida Mm mm-hmm about a year later okay and started treatment down there Mm -hmm. or Or just just my continual physicians and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. yeah we just felt like it was time to leave new york as much as i loved new york it was a difficult place to be when you have a brain injury and anytime you have brain surgery you you know your brain has been bothered touched and there is an injury there and it takes a long time for the brain to heal which people don't realize that i had one doctor tell me it's a full seven years um i don't know if that's like the standard what most doctors would say but it did seem about accurate to me um so my brain was very sensitive and that also something to mention the where my tumor was located it was in the left parietal which is right in the middle of my speech center my uh, sensory and motor function so it's a very it was accessible which was the good news it was easy to get out i wouldn't say easy but it's well as brain surgery goes (laughs) yeah it's a a good location to remove but a very tricky location Mm -hmm. because of all the function Mm -hmm. um and i also I don't know, people probably don't want to hear this, but I was awake for some of the surgery because they have to make sure they're not damaging your speech. So you have to wake you up and make sure you can talk as they're removing it. You don't have pain receptors on your brain. so. Um, But also they couldn't remove all of it because of that. So there's little sliver left, um, which is what they're watching. But all that to say, I was very sensitive to noise, movement, um, 
all the things that New York City, you know, right? It's just oh my, yeah. constant lights. I couldn't and, imagine, yeah, and noise. I just mm-hmm. remember, like, the doctors were like, "You have to be outside every day. We want you walking, sunshine. You know, that's the best way to recover." And I just remember, like, trying it's to do much. my walks around the block and just being in pain or trying to go. And this is like, you know, a couple months later trying to go to a restaurant i love going out to eat and walking into a restaurant and turning right around and walking out. i'm like i can't it's too loud mm-hmm. um but also you know miles was about to turn two that winter was just oh it was so so cold um he would we would play in the hallway and like the lobby it was too cold to go outside mm-hmm. um so there's just a lot of factors that led us to make that decision to move to Florida and I also was just trying to get into more like I definitely turned my life around in terms of like diet and uh, self-care wellness I was like okay I feel like there's certain things that can contribute due to this kind of situation and I was even if that wasn't the case I'm going to do everything in my power to keep my body healthy and strong so that this thing doesn't come back so on that list was sunshine and less stress. So Dan randomly had a job offer from a friend that was in Orlando. So that was what led us down there. That's a long answer. <laughs> I'm like going well, off the rails. Here. No, no, that's important information, particularly in a situation where you've just had brain surgery. You've got a lot going on as a young mom. So I'm sure there was a lot of thought that went into it. I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. And when you got there... How did things progress? Um, so I s- established a new doctor in Orlando and loved him. He was a very kind, positive person. Again, one of the one of the criteria for me was to have a doctor who was really up uplifting and positive about my case because mm-hmm. I don't I didn't want to be around people who uh, oh, would yeah, say yeah. things like when you need treatment which i i ended up having a doctor who stepped in for one of my appointments who said that to me when you need treatment this is what we'll do radiation but i was like "Mm, nope i don't like there's nothing to talk about right now so why are you assuming yes i know that most people who've gone through this have to have reoccurrences but I didn't want to be spoken to like I was one of the normal numbers. I wanted someone who can be as positive as me. And again, it could have been some denial for sure. But um, I just, I really, I really liked that doctor. And when he left Orlando and went down south, southern Florida, I followed him there and, you know, was living my life. I really got plugged into our community it was a great place to have a toddler it was really hot i didn't necessarily (laughs) care for the extreme heat but um you know we didn't live like right where disney was we were further north but like it was really a nice place to have like a little kid like we had good friends i started getting involved in theater which was really nice to kind of get back to that. I got plugged in with a theater group and did three shows. I was like really, I was getting, I was getting settled there and felt really happy. And my health was good and stable. And every time I went to this doctor, I had glowing reports, like everything looks great. You know, keep living your life. Like I just, and I love that. Like I loved how positive he was. Um, Eventually this is, you know, fast forward we're five years we were there we um had the opportunity to buy a house up here in north carolina so we started talking about um possibly moving because dan really disliked the extreme heat um we knew that orlando was probably not like a long-term thing and um you know, my, my, my family actually was like coming to North Carolina. My mom and my stepdad had moved here to the Raleigh area. My cousin and her family had moved here. And the house that we had our eye on was um, a house that was going to go on the market across the street from my cousin. So on a cul-de-sac, it was like so perfect and dreamy and the house was awesome. And But it was one of those things where like I was kind of questioning like, 
I I didn't feel done in Orlando, but I felt like there was a reason. It's just one of those gut things. Like I was like, I think it's time to go. This house is like, this is such a like rare opportunity. I feel like we should jump on it. But I was like, but I'm just like, I don't know why, like why now? Like I finally feel like settled. At the same time in Orlando, right around the time that we were making this decision, I started having seizures. And again, I'm like, okay, well, all my scans have been clean, clear, according to my doctor. So like, I was like, when when I say I started having seizures, it's not uncommon to have seizure activity after you've had a surgery, Mm -hmm. um, a brain surgery, because again, they're messing with your brain. That was a fun fact I learned after. (laughs) No one told me that. But I mean, what was I going to do? Of course, you had to have surgery anyway. But I got on seizure meds after my first surgery because I was having not like what you think, you know, your typical seizure would be like a grandma, but like sensory stuff. Like you just like feel weird all of a sudden or like have like my, my arm would go numb, stuff like that. Um, But down in Florida during this time that we're thinking about moving, I started having bigger seizures and I eventually did have a a grandma when I was out running in the intense heat of, yeah um it was actually one of like the scariest moments in my life i because i never had anything like that happen i was by myself i did make it back to my car and turn the air on um and but i I wasn't driving i was sitting in the parking lot and that happened and so you know that was terrifying so clearly something was going on but even then i was like you know, I just had a good doc- doctor's appointment. I know it's like there's nothing going on um, with my brain. So I just like my my medicine just might not be working anymore. So um, had to like got on got on high high doses of my seizure meds. We this is like, you know, probably about the month before we were closing on this new house in Raleigh moved here My doctor in Florida got me in touch with my doc or got me a referral to Mm -hmm. a doctor at duke um thank god (laughs) duke is an amazing place to be if you have a history of brain tumors um and had my first appointment with my doctor here um at duke like about three weeks after we moved here and basically it was like getting diagnosed all over again so she's the one that told me um that my tumor was completely back like wow wow large uh golf ball size wow Wow. yeah so the entire six years that i you know had been living since the first diagnosis it had been slowly growing back and that's what's hard with this type of tumor it grows so slowly milli you know millimeter by middle millimeter that's hard to say (laughs) uh so it's so it's not like you know the next scan it's like oh wow there's a huge change to this day i don't know what happened with my doctor in florida and a lot of people for example some of my family like my mom mom like were so angry like how could how could he do this to you like and you know uh, it's almost like this weird mystery and i'm weirdly glad that i didn't know in florida Mm. that it was growing i felt like getting to raleigh getting to the level of care that i currently have is what i needed and i don't know what would have happened like i don't i don't know what my life would have looked like all those years in florida living my life happily and feeling healthy and strong with positivity i didn't i wasn't you know a patient um if i did know all the all of what was going on i would have been presented your typical like standard care which would be chemo radiation no um trials nothing that nothing new it would have just been like your typical stuff this is the best we can do right now right Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and it wasn't like it's just not like the hospitals near me were not you know they they could have done that but there's what i have now is far beyond what the the care that i would have been offered so i also was just happy 
and I didn't have that thing hanging over me. So in a weird way, I am glad it worked out the way it did. I know that's so strange to say, but, and it was almost like we were all blinded because I remember looking at scans and I'm to this day, I would say to Dan, like, how did we not see a big giant tumor? Like I, I looked at some scans. I know sometimes when you're looking at scans, it's confusing to, to like see what you're looking at. And sometimes I just give the benefit of the doubt to the doctor. Like, you know, it was such a slow growing, so tiny, tiny changes each time that maybe they weren't going back far enough to compare mm-hmm. compare it to like mm-hmm. the earlier scans. And that's what my doctor currently thinks happened. But going back to that moment, um, sitting in Duke three weeks after moving here, and hearing that I have a brain tumor again, it was like getting re-diagnosed without any of the warning. Um, and that was just that was like a punch to the gut. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah. And y- you had a second surgery, did you not? Yes. So I was pretty very, quickly, right? Yeah, within a few months. I let's see, that would have been August of 2018. Um, so six years later, and then I had the surgery in November. It took me a solid month or so to like figure out what I wanted to do because I, the other thing that was hard during all this time is that I had turned my life upside down in terms of like nutrition and all the holistic things that I delved into in Florida. I I did everything from you know, nutrition, acupuncture, um, uh, supplement, I, nutritionist who was who specializes in brain tumors and cancer. I, I did, I did all the things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if there is something that is shown to help, uh, you know, anti-cancer or to to help with um, ma- bra- managing brain tumors, I would do it. Um, and you know, it's, I I remember talking to my doctor and just being tears, like I did so much and I thought it was keeping everything under control and it wasn't working at all. And she said something pretty profound that also my dad ended up saying too, like, yes, but we don't know how much that was helping all this time. Cause when they did remove the, the tumor, the pathology was still a grade two, which is really really good news best case um, scenario in that situation yeah because yeah. a lot of times people who have a brain tumor um it could advance to a different grade mm-hmm. it's not uncommon to have that happen so um who knows like that could have been helping all along so but it was of course like very and i had like a little bit of a following i had a, a blog and i had like a facebook page like trying to like share my information with people like people who were diagnosed with cancer would come to me like what did you do what what have you been doing to keep everything under control so when all this happened i also felt like not a fraud that's probably a harsh word but like ugh, i'm this wellness person that's been giving all this advice and it wasn't even working so it was definitely like kind of rocked my world in that sense too but mm-hmm. again like we don't know how mm-hmm. it maybe was really helping you know Right, it could have been worse. Yeah, right. right. So, but it took me a while to accept the news. Um, Dan and I were very shaken and confused. We're like, "Well, this doctor is saying everything's great. This doctor is telling me I have a giant ball in my head. Like, who's right?" Even though I knew who was right because I could see it on the scan. But we ended up flying back to New York City to my original doctor, and we're like, we sat down with him, and we also like took all the information that I was given at Duke, which they have, they had all kinds of like options. There was clinical trials, like not just one, but like several that would apply to me in this mutation, this uh, gene mutation that I have. Um, so I, we took everything to him and we're like, we're confused. <laughs> this is what's happened since the last time we saw you. Here are the, th- the options. And like, it was actually a really great meaning because he kind of told us his opinion but he also said even if you knew all wrong in florida you wouldn't have done it you, you wouldn't do anything until it starts causing problems mm-hmm. and like it's causing problems right now like he's like correct you you haven't had any issues until this year when you started having seizures and i was like yes that's true it's like so it's kind of good you didn't know 
because like it was nice <laughs> you could just like live your life so and then he gave us some opinion of what he would choose um so i ended up when we came back i ended up um saying okay i, I think that i'm feeling led to do this clinical trial and i actually got the second to last spot wow um for this particular trial at duke and again that's that's why i was saying like in florida none of that existed a lot of the treatments are just advancing so quickly that that didn't even exist in florida and also i mean it didn't exist like it was i think 2016 or 17 is when they started this trial um so yeah I, if i known this stuff what could i have done right so this um trial it was a vaccine trial is immunotherapy and i had to have surgery obviously to have the tumor removed because it was large so you can't even like there's nothing i could like do to target it it was too big so i had to get it out there first but then had to go through a year of vaccines um vaccines that's interesting yeah, it's a, a immunotherapy. It's kind of teaching your immune system to go after these. Mm, I guess that makes bad sense. guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and also low dose of chemo to kind of like help keep things from growing. Um, at the mm. same time, it kind of like works together. But that particular surgery, I was very scared the first time. I did not know what I was getting into, so I didn't know what I was. Right. I was also in like in a state of shock the first yeah. time. And so I just kind of rolled into it and like the recovery was not great, but I, you know, it was, I didn't have like major, major issues. This particular surgery was, I was terrified. The actual surgery was terrifying. I did not, (laughs) I was also awake for this one too. And I was having like, definitely like more panic for this surgery. I remember like, you know, you're kind of sedated, but I was feeling like panicky even through that sedation. Um, the surgery went great. He, I had, I have to give my shout out to my doctor, Dr. Friedman, who's one of the best neurosurgeons in the world. Cannot even believe that I ended up with him because I didn't, it's not like I sought him out again, like just being at Duke. It was just such a God thing. Um, he was incredible. He got as much as he could. Um, the, re- the recovery, though, was awful <laughs> to be. I mean, it wasn't anything from that. It was just m- my body. I'm just very sensitive. And some people, again, are out of the hospital within two days. And they had told me that, like, if everything goes well, you'll be home in two days. And for me, it was 10 days. I had all kinds of issues. It feels like everything under the sun <laughs> happened to me like a blood clot um i had like blood uh or low blood pressure issues um where my blood pressure was dropping so dangerously low that i mean finding out later i'm glad i didn't know all this at that moment that could have been i could have had a stroke um so i they could not get my blood pressure up high enough for me to safely leave the hospital so i had to have like meds through an iv so i had to be in the icu for 10 years 10 years it felt like 10 years 10 (laughs) days (laughs) um i also couldn't talk when i woke up from the surgery i lost my speech um i had all kinds of speech issues that still linger today but um and they said you know your brain is swollen like right now so when the the swelling goes down you'll get your speech back but it was not not necessarily that easy. Um, I had to go back. I had to go to speech therapy. Um, I had lost all the feeling in my right side, my hand, my arm. Um, I couldn't pick up a fork. I had to had to learn to write again. Um, and again, like anything they could do to get as much tumor out. Yes, like that's what I wanted. Um, and of course, they couldn't remove it all because that's they have to stop at some point in that location of the brain. So that otherwise, you mm-hmm. would be damaged. You know, for, I would I would not be able to talk at all even right now. So I remember Dr. Friedman telling Dan and I that my the spot of my tumor it was like operating in Manhattan. 
Like, it's just, like, getting through all these little Mm. streets. Like, it's so crowded. There's so much, like, important stuff. And so, you have to be, it's like. Wow. Yeah. It was, it's a difficult, it was a difficult surgery. And I didn't know, I did not realize that waking up, um, that I would have all these issues. And it took months and months to... Uh, recover my speech and my and I still to this day don't have my feeling back in my hand so I have partial sensory but I don't have full sensory wow yeah so going through sort of the emotional trauma physical trauma of the recovery and the vaccine trial with the chemo, which kind of makes you feel icky, not like your typical, like my, my hair didn't fall out. I didn't, you know, I wasn't nauseous and sick all day. It was just this low grade, uh, fatigue and just not feeling great for a year. And so that wrapped up in in December of 2019, which brings us back to the point where we all met. Yeah, right around there. Mm-hmm. So January of 2020. January exactly. Of 2020. Oh, it was right after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're not done talking, first of all. Right. We have more to talk about. Well, of course. So I think we're going to turn this into a two-part interview. Mm-hmm. And I want to encourage everybody to have a listen because I want to hear how you have progressed in your creative journey since the end of your second recovery period. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be the next thing that we talk about. Yeah. Lots more to discuss mm-hmm. and we'll probably have Katie back for other episodes. Oh, absolutely. Yay. Yes. Yes. I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. So thanks everyone for listening. Thank you so much. And Katie, thank you so yes. much, honey. We love you. Love we do. You thank you for being here. Thanks. That's your story is just so amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye-bye everyone. Bye. Since we recorded this episode with Katie, She has been gracious enough to give us access to some of her artistic materials, and she is just amazing. She really is, and we're trying to convince her to put together a Patreon page, Mm -hmm. and so we're hoping that will be done between the first and second episodes. But in the meantime, we want to direct you towards her album, which can be found on Apple Music, and also she has a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. where you can listen to her music as well. We'll put links to both of those resources in the description of this episode. Please go check it out. Please give her a like and a subscribe and just support her as much as you can. Yeah, she's a very talented woman. And in addition to that, we're going to put her IMDB profile, which is for her acting. And there's a couple little clips on there of some of the pieces that she's been in. And she also has an Etsy store. It isn't up and active right now, but we're trying to convince her to reopen that for you. Yeah, we're trying to crack the whip and get her (laughs) creating, get her moving. Yeah, but we just want you all to see what a talented person she is and just... Go out and check out her stuff because she's amazing. She's great. She really is. So Mm -hmm. please, again, look her up on Apple Music and on YouTube for now. And we'll provide more information on other places to find her as soon as it's available. And we can update the description of this podcast episode over time. So yes, you might want to come back and check it out. You can also listen to it again if you want. Yeah. It's so good. And part two will be coming. So Mm -hmm. Make sure you listen to that. Yep. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Girlish Gurus. We hope you'll join us next time for another fun and interesting topic. And please be sure to check the notes for information and links that were included in this discussion today. Also, don't forget you can find us on our social media platforms, starting with Instagram, Facebook, and now including YouTube. 
you can find us by searching Girlish Gurus. And please remember to give this episode a good review and share it with your girlfriends because the more interaction we get with our podcast episodes, the more episodes we can post. Finally, you can find us on our website, girlishgurus.com. Thanks again. See you next time. Bye.